Hello, working people of Southwest Washington. You're listening to episode 25 of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. We're also a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network with over 130 radio shows and podcasts for working people just like you. Find out more about the network at laborradionetwork.org. I'm Shannon Myers. And I'm Harold Phillips. But before we get started, we want to remind you that the views and opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council, its affiliate unions, our guest unions, our employers, not even your state senator. Nobody but themselves. Now that we've got that over with, hey, Shannon, do you know who your state senator is? <laughs> no, she just quit. Uh, what? Yeah, our state senator in the 18th district was Senator Ann Rivers, and we just got notification this week that she has decided to take a day job, and she has given up her state senate job. So, no, we don't know who our state senator is in the 18th. Okay, but before she decided to resign, you did know who your state senator was, right? Yes, always. Well, you're in the minority. A lot of people here in Southwest Washington, well, all over Washington, really, might know who their U.S. senators are. That would be our amazing Patty Murray and Maria Cantwell. Right. And they might know who their U.S. representative is. But a lot of them may not know who represents them in the state capitol in Olympia. And even if they do, who represents them and who else is going to vote for their legislators here in Washington in 2022 might be changing very soon. That's because we're going through a process right now called redistricting. Right. That's something that happens every 10 years, uh, the U.S. conducts the census, which I hope everybody participated in. That's counting all of the people here in the nation. And depending on those numbers from the census, it changes our legislative districts. Bingo. It's a big, nebulous process that a lot of people may not be paying attention to, but it could have big impacts on how business gets done in Olympia for the next decade. To help us make sense of redistricting and explain why it's so important, we're very happy to welcome April Sims back to the show. And I know all you fans of the show remember April from episode five. She's our secretary treasurer of the Washington State Labor Council, and she's also a member of the Washington State Redistricting Commission. Congratulations, April. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on the show. Now, you said I was on episode five. Look at that, the consistency there. See, 525. You'll have to have me back on for like episode 55. Keep this trend going. Oh, no, no. We're going to have you on sooner than that. Don't you worry. How did you end up being on the state's redistricting commission? How did that happen? Yeah, um, great question. I was actually appointed. So in Washington state, Our redistricting commission is made up of five commissioners. There are four voting commissioners. Each caucus of the legislature gets to appoint one commissioner. I was appointed by 
The House Democratic Caucus, the House Republican Caucus also has a commissioner. The Senate Republican and Democratic Caucuses also appoint a commissioner. And then those four commissioners appoint a fifth non-voting member of the commission who's responsible for helping to facilitate our meetings and um, you know help us get our job done. So this is kind of a big deal. Not only are you involved in redrawing the legislative districts in the state, you're also bringing a labor-oriented voice into the commission. That's exactly right. And it's a real privilege. I am the first person representing labor to serve on the redistricting commission in the history of the redistricting commission. And I also have the privilege and the distinction of being the first woman of color to serve on the redistricting commission. And I think the first person of color to serve on the redistricting commission with my counterpart, Brady Pinera Walkinshaw, who is the Senate Democratic appointee. I think a lot of people assume that the legislature actually draws the legislative lines. Mm-hmm. But here in Washington, that's not actually the case. Yeah. Washington is one of, I think, only eight states. Um, it could be 10, I'd have to double check, that have a process that is not controlled by the legislature. And so typically in states, whatever party is in control of the legislature has control over how the legislative lines are drawn. In Washington state, it's not a nonpartisan commission because we are appointed by you know party leaders, but it is a bipartisan commission. So what exactly do you do? as the redistricting commission. How does that work? Serving on the redistricting commission has been a lot of fun, but our real job is to uh, rebalance the population of legislative and congressional districts in our state. So every 10 years, like you mentioned at the start of the show, the federal government does a census. That census tells us not just what the population in our state is, but where the population is residing. And then we redraw our legislative and congressional boundaries to make sure that each district, either legislative or congressional, has approximately the same population. So if you think about the premise around one voice, one vote, that every vote has the same equal weight. If we did not redistrict or redraw our boundaries every 10 years, then we could have one district in Washington state that has three elected officials representing that district and maybe has a population of 50,000 people. And by contrast, we could have another district in Washington state that has the same number of people representing that district. And that district could have over 500,000 people in it. So every 10 years, in order to make sure that everyone's vote has equal weight, the lines are redrawn so that each district has the same population, so that every representative represents approximately the same number of people. So you're looking at the number of people living in an area, and you're drawing boundaries around that area to basically say what district all those people are a member of. And then that one district will send their two representatives and their one senator Mm -hmm. to Olympia. Yes. Given the population distribution in the state, that probably means that some districts are pretty big because there's very few people in that geographic area. Mm -hmm. And some districts are pretty small, correct? That's absolutely right. Um, You know, there are heavily populated urban centers throughout our state. They look much smaller on the map, but they all represent approximately the same number of people. 
So basically, if you live in Seattle, you probably have a smaller district because there's more population. As compared, if you look at the map on the east side of Washington, not as many people, huge size district. But in essence, they all represent the same amount of people so that everybody has an equal voice. I have another question for you, though. You are on the statewide commission, but there are also county commissions doing redistricting at this point. How do they all connect? How does it all come together? Great question. Every county, every municipality has its own process for redistricting. In some cases, like in the case for Spokane County, if that commission isn't able to get their work done by their deadline, then that process is turned over to the statewide commission. There may be other counties in the state that have that similar provision. Um, I just don't know which counties off the top of my head, but ideally, we have folks in community, folks like yourself and like your listeners, who are engaged in both levels, right? They're engaged in what's happening at the county level, engaged in what's happening at the state level, and they're providing the same comments and the same feedback to both commissions so that we can take all of that commentary, all of that context into consideration when we're just looking at the data. Okay, so you're bringing up how people can get involved. And we've had a couple of our union members, our community members, who have stated that they want to get involved because they want to have a voice in this redistricting process. How can they get involved in this process and make their voice heard and their opinion heard? So many ways. First and foremost, the commission released their draft legislative maps on the 21st of September and their draft congressional maps on the 28th of September. So those maps are available online. You can go to redistricting.wa.gov, click on the proposed maps, and you can view all of the proposed maps. One of the easiest ways to give feedback is if you see something on that map and you want to provide feedback, you can click in that map and provide that feedback to the members of the commission. And you can do that with all eight of the maps that are available on the website, the four legislative maps and the four congressional maps. You can send in emails, you can send in video testimony, and you can show up and you can give uh, public testimony in real time. So tonight... um, By the way, we're recording this on October 5th, 2021. Okay. So they're probably going to hear this after tonight, but please go ahead. What's happening tonight? So tonight, the Redistricting Commission is hearing public testimony uh, feedback in real time on our legislative maps. And on Saturday, October 9th, folks can give public comment on our congressional maps. And you can sign up to give public comment by going to redistricting.wa.gov and clicking the link to provide public comment. And then we will likely have more ongoing opportunities for folks to provide feedback. Right now, we are discussing meeting weekly on Mondays at noon so that we can create more space and opportunity for folks to give us feedback, which is really the beauty of the process. We release these draft maps so that folks can give us feedback. I mean, there's really no way any one person serving on the commission can learn all of the things they need to know about the various communities in Washington state in such a short period of time. So we really do count on public comment. I certainly welcome public comment. I do just want to put it out there that I would prefer my feedback in a kind and gentle way, but I will take the feedback in any way that it comes because it is all just designed to help me draw maps that are really good for the residents of our state. Well, let's talk a little bit about drawing those maps because it seems like you could just do a sample of a certain number of people. What's, what's the um, 
basic number of people per district you're looking at? Well, great question. Population in Washington state grew by almost a million. So our current population is about 7.7 million. And those folks need to be divided into neat legislative districts that are uh, 157,251 people or as close to that exact number as we can get. So it would seem like you could just take a chunk of 157,000 people and draw a line around it, right? Mm -hmm. So what are some of the considerations that you do have to take into account when you're drawing these lines? Yeah, so we are required as a commission to draw districts that are equal in population or as close as possible, so with very little variance. And I think the last round of redistricting, those districts were like within five people. The difference was maybe five or 10 people per district, uh, but also required to draw districts that are compact, convenient, and contiguous. Districts that reduce dividing county and municipal boundaries to the extent that we can, that do not favor or discriminate against any incumbent, candidate, or political party. Districts that encourage electoral competition and that preserve communities of interest. So those are the things that we have to consider when drawing a legislative district. So when you think about districts that are compact, convenient, and contiguous, that means you have to be able to drive from one part of the district to another without actually leaving that district. So you have to think about highways, um, the mountain passes. I had a great map I was really excited about. And then I learned that there was a highway that's closed three months out of the year and that wasn't going to work because my district wasn't contiguous. So you're thinking about where are the county lines, where are the city lines? Um, one of my priorities was to maintain communities of interest, which includes not dividing counties and cities and communities and neighborhoods to the extent that I could. So where I could keep a city whole and in one district, I prioritize doing that. So this gets us into this word that a lot of people have been talking about over the past few years, this idea of gerrymandering, where the lines will get drawn around certain communities in order to preserve political power or demographic unity or something like that. What I'm hearing you say is you're trying, and the entire commission is trying to avoid doing that. They're trying to keep communities whole, correct? Well, I would say that that is the redistricting criteria that we are all required to consider. I think that various members of the commission are prioritizing that criteria differently and articulating their priorities um, in their maps. So, you know, you have probably heard from the Republican commissioners that competitive districts is their priority because the law does require us to draw districts that encourage electoral competition. But, you know, voters in Washington state have voted Democratic by about 57 to 59 percent statewide, depending on the election for the last several years. And so the only way to draw districts that are more competitive is to gerrymander them, is to divide communities and divide cities. That's really the only way that you can engineer election outcomes. What I'm hearing you say is that your goal is to try and keep communities together and not necessarily worry about whether those districts are competitive or where does the competitive nature of the district come in for you? Well, my goal is to draw districts that reflect the political realities of our state, that protect fair and effective representation. And I wouldn't even say that these are goals. These are really my values um, and the values that I'm bringing into this process is 
maintaining and creating communities of interest, respecting tribal sovereignty and the government to government relationship that we have with our tribal partners and centering and engaging communities that have been historically underrepresented. So where I can draw lines that create more majority minority districts, that makes sense. I'm certainly doing that, but I'm not willing to violate my constitutional responsibility and draw districts that aren't compact, convenient, and contiguous just to do that. But I am prioritizing bringing the voice of my community into this process because we have historically, as we mentioned at the top of the show, not had a voice in what redistricting in our state looked like. What happens next after this stage that you're in? Yeah, great question. Now that our draft maps are out, we have to start negotiating. We get to start negotiating. Three of the four voting commissioners have to agree on a final plan or a final map by November 15th. And if we are unable to come to agreement, then we turn the process and the jurisdiction of this process over to our state Supreme Court. Now, that has never happened in the history of redistricting, so we are all um, committed to making sure that we finish our work on time. Once we, if we, when we adopt our plan, then it goes to the state legislature, and the state legislature has 30 days to vote on finalizing the proposed maps, and they are allowed to make some changes, but it requires two-thirds majority vote, and they can't change any one district by more than 2% of the population. So our plan is to have our work done by November 15th so that the legislature can adopt it the beginning of session in January. So no matter what happens with redistricting in 2021, it's probably not going to change the composition of the legislature in 2022. Well, it won't change the composition in terms of there will be 49 districts and each district will have two reps and one senator. But one way or another, uh, we will have new legislative and congressional maps that will be in effect for the 2022 election. Okay, so you're talking about all of this political wonky information, which, you know, I totally dig. I know Harold likes it and, you know, all of us. And I know you're on for it too, girl. But why should the everyday person give a shit and why is it important for them to get involved a lot of listeners they're probably thinking i don't even know where to start i don't even know why this is important to me how do we get people more involved and why should they care so you're asking me to make redistricting sexy for your listeners oh make it sexy Well, I mean, like, why should we care? Redistricting will determine the political landscape for our state for the next decade. And that really determines what kind of policies we can get passed that impact working families. You know, working families, they want employment that pays a livable wage and provides a glide path to the middle class. Um, Working families want policies that allow them to take time off to take care of their families. They want policies that protect the social safety net. We saw how important that social safety net was during this pandemic. And it's the people that we elect that pass those policies. And if we can't elect people who care about what workers need and what families need, then we all suffer. I'm not sure that that's sexy, but it feels really important to me. It's a passion of mine. It's a project. It's a hobby. But for those people who are working, you know, my son-in-law who's working 10-hour days out at Intel and commuting an hour and a half each way, why should he get involved? I mean, why should he Mm -hmm. set his time aside to actually educate himself, take the time and get that done? And it's because our life depends on it. Our livelihoods depend on it. These people are making decisions about our everyday life. You know, if you want childcare, 
we got to get people to vote for childcare up in Olympia. Mm -hmm. If we want living wages, we need people who are going to take that message to Olympia. And the way we do that is to make our voices heard. And if we don't get involved, don't bitch people. You said it exactly right. And if your son-in-law is commuting an hour and a half each way, then I would imagine that he cares about transportation, right? And whether or not we have highways that he can travel to and from work. And if he has to commute an hour and a half to and from work, that's three hours a day. What would it look like to have folks be able to afford to live in the communities where they work or to have meaningful employment where you work so folks don't have to travel that far? These are all decisions that are made at the legislative level right? These are all policies that our legislators pass and having a voice in who represents you and making sure that the folks that represent you care about the things that are important to you is what our democracy is really all about. And we only get that if we draw maps that represent the political reality of our state. Well, here's the kicker, sis. It's only about 30 miles to work. He has to travel I-5 bridge And that is another important issue that our legislature needs to to take up because, man, sitting in traffic for 45 minutes sucks. Listen, I commute from Tacoma to Seattle, or at least pre-pandemic, I commuted from Tacoma to Seattle every day. Yes, traffic is slowly killing my generous spirit, slowly and painfully. (laughs) It can do that. Well, I think we're hearing just what a difference having Labor's voice on the commission is making, because you are bringing these points to the commission as you have your meetings, right? Oh, absolutely. Especially, you know, as we have our meetings, thinking about how we can create a process that allows folks to participate at whatever level they are comfortable with. That doesn't require folks to be mathematicians or GIS specialists, where folks can really provide direct input to the commission in whatever format they're most comfortable with. So, you know, your son-in-law, Shannon, if he's tired at the end of the day, because he's had that long commute, he can go online at night and type in his comments. He can call and leave a message. He can send in a video. There's any number of ways that you can provide public input and comment and engage in the process and making sure that we have a process that is transparent, a process where the average listener feels like they can provide input and can impact the outcome of redistricting was really important to me. So, you know, April, I would feel horrible if I let you go without talking to you about another subject. Mm-hmm. If you listened to our last show, you heard Shannon and I talking at the end about how we seem to be in a moment right now. There are labor actions happening all across the country. We had our successful Nabisco strike, which affected many people here in our community. IATSE has just had a strike vote that got a 98% result in favor of striking, and they're going back to the bargaining table with their employers. Now the bakers are striking against Kellogg's. We have the nurses at Kaiser talking about possibly going on strike. What is happening in the world and in our country right now? It is an amazing time to be part of the labor movement. It really is. I mean, not only is union favorability at an all-time high, right? But we have witnessed over the last nearly two years, the public, you know, start to acknowledge what we in the movement have always known, which is that workers are essential. 
And so I think with union favorability and this ongoing conversation about how essential workers are and how critical they are to our economy and our functioning society really means that the wind is at our back. There are workers going on strike and demanding dignity and respect in the workplace, the opportunity to pass the PRO Act at the federal level so that all of these workers who want an opportunity to join a union can have that opportunity without employer interference in the way that we're seeing it today. Um, I think this is a historic moment that we are living in. It was my mom's ability to join a union that changed our lives. She is one of only, you know, 20% of workers in our state that had the ability to join a union. If we pass the BRO Act, we can change that. And if we think that the labor movement is strong today, wait until these 60 million workers who would love to be a part of our movement have that opportunity. It's a really exciting time. You know, the labor movement has been fighting for living wages for a long time. That's always been them. living wages, hours, working conditions, all of that. And we've been fighting for this $15 minimum wage. And everybody's saying that is so out of reach. Oh my gosh, that's so much. Well, I'll tell you what, in the last week, I have organized four young men in their 20s to different building trades unions. Every single one of them said, does anybody offer more than 20 bucks an hour? Because they cannot survive and support their family on 20 bucks an hour. And so people are saying, I'm working my ass off. I can't even afford my bills. Where do we go? And all four of those young men in their 20s, they are all working for the unions this week. And one of them is my son-in-law, who is working for 20 bucks an hour. And now he is making more than that with the painters union, plus benefits, plus retirement. So we got to show these people that there is a better way to live and work. And if they can't go to a union, then let's start organizing there because 19 bucks an hour, no benefits and barely health insurance ain't cutting it anymore. And that's why I feel it's exciting because these young kids who don't even know we're out there, once they find us, they're like, holy moly, I have a job. I have security. I can pay my bills. That's all they want. That's it. Yeah, no, you're exactly right, Shannon. You know, we've got this uh, timeline at the State Labor Council, this historical timeline of labor in, in our region. And there's a marker, I think it was in 1907, there was a group of mill workers that went on strike. And I remember reading that they were on strike for a nine hour workday, right? I bet when they went on strike, they could not conceive the possibility of an eight hour workday because they were striking for nine. And I think it's our responsibility as leaders in this movement to like, what is that thing that is possible that we haven't conceived yet? Maybe it's a seven hour day, or maybe it's a, you know, a 32 hour work week where workers are getting some of the profits from automation, right? Maybe automation isn't a bad thing because that means that there's less work, but maybe it means that we don't have to work as hard. Maybe eight hours a day, five days a week is not what we should be aspiring to anymore. I don't know. I just think that there are opportunities we haven't imagined yet as a movement. And we've got to start thinking about and challenging ourselves to identify what those options are. Like what is possible that we have not yet conceived? And work is changing, my sister and brother. Work is changing. People are actually not, you know, hating working from home. Uh, You talk about redistricting. If people can work from home, they can live anywhere, right? So 
maybe we need to reimagine working and what that means and what the work week is and what work life balance really is. And hopefully we'll be able to find it. And I think even though all this bad stuff with COVID has happened, it has really opened up a lot of our human being eyes to understand what is important and that we really do need a balance. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's why people are rising up. And I think that people will continue to do that until we find that. Well, that brings us back to redistricting, doesn't it? Because it really is all about people coming together and being counted and making sure that those communities of interest can work together. So with that in mind, remind us, how can people find these maps? So folks can go to www.redistricting.wa.gov or just Google redistricting Washington. And it should be the first link that pops up, but go to redistricting.wa.gov. And they can give the commission feedback straight from that site? Yeah, go to that website, click on proposed maps. It'll pull up all of the commissioner's proposed maps. You can look at the legislative maps or the congressional maps, play around in those different maps. If you see something that impacts your community and you want to give feedback on the way a specific district is drawn, you can click right in that map, right in that district and uh, provide that feedback directly to the members of the commission. And we're going to try and have this episode out by October 9th when your next meeting is scheduled to happen, but you said there are going to be future public meetings as well. Yes. We're actually talking about that tonight and we'll finalize the plan, but you can go to redistricting.wa.gov and look at uh, upcoming meetings. So we are tentatively looking at every Monday at noon, just providing an opportunity for folks to give public comment and feedback on our draft maps. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for making the time to join us. April Sims, Washington Redistricting Commissioner and Secretary Treasurer of the Washington State Labor Council. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, working people, for joining us on another episode of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. You know, Harold, the lines on our legislative map might be changing. But one thing that never changes is the fact that this podcast was recorded under a SAG-AFTRA collective bargaining agreement. That's how we know we're keeping this show union strong, folks. Like I said before, we are living in a moment. Remember, working people, this is your show. We want to know what you want to hear on it. Email us at podcast at swwaclc.org. Or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at SWWACLC. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. Because if you subscribe, you don't even have to remember. It will automatically let you know when the next episode drops. So subscribe and pass it on to your friends, family, neighbors, dogs, whatever. And while you're at it, give us five stars or draw the line around the highway that goes through the mountains or whatever your podcast platform of choice gives you to let people know you like what we're doing here. One last thing, folks, this whole idea of redistricting seems big. It seems like more than a lot of working people want to take on. You just want to go, you want to do your job, you want to come home. 
get some dinner, spend some time with your family, you know you're going to have to get back to work tomorrow. But it really is important for those of us who are working for a living because our legislative lines are about more than just who we send to Olympia. They're about what April called communities of interest. Do you want to be able to vote for the same person who you're sending to Olympia or your county council that your next door neighbor does? Or are you going to have to vote for a different person than your next door neighbor because of where these lines have been drawn? If some of these maps that April talked about end up going through, you could have your district line cutting right through your city or even right through your block. So it's really worth taking the time to pay attention to this and going to the website to look at the maps because the people who we send to elective office have a real impact on our lives. I know that I'm a political wonk. I know that redistricting really gets me excited. And I know that most of you probably don't get excited about redistricting in politics. I get it, but it's super important. We need to be involved because if you're not involved, your voice isn't heard. And if you're not getting our voice heard, then you have no reason to bitch. My daddy always said, if you don't like how things are run, make a difference and do something about it. Don't complain. Think about some of the differences April talked about in this show. Think about the change in having a citizens commission as opposed to the legislature drawing these maps. Think about what it means to have a working person's representative on this commission. Keeping these changes, keeping things moving forward is what this is all about. So take the time, get involved. Let's make sure we keep moving forward. You know, people are waking up all over this country realizing that it has been taken away from them. The living wages, the American dream. Don't let it continue to happen. Get involved. Make your voice heard because now it's more important than ever. We'll see you soon. Bye.